Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. Now this strange voice is Sean and we are joined by Ronan as ever because he's been holding the fort down but there are there are ramblings and rustlings coming from elsewhere in the pit. I think we've got somebody else in here Ronan. Ramblings, that's brave. No, no, I'll, I'll let our guests cut in here at Ramblings. <laughs> I think you'll find erudite conversational titbits is what you're looking for. <laughs> from rambling to titbits. I think I should be left by myself from now on. <laughs> Leave me alone. I've had two small children all day. I'm very tired and I'm very worn out mentally and physically. I'm just thinking you shouldn't be making promises you're not going to be able to keep in an audio format. That's all. <laughs> Listen, beauty of editing, baby, beauty of editing. <laughs> Not edited, going to be in there. Anyway, welcome back, Sean, and welcome back, Natalie. I'm not sure which of you has been on fewer episodes this year. <laughs> I feel I do feel like a guest on this show. It's lovely to come and join you in your show, Ronan. Yes, uh, it really has always been my show spiritually. <laughs> it's just that I've managed to enable a takeover, and it's been quite enjoyable. And the standard has definitely plateaued. <laughs> Shall we crack on and tell people what we're actually recording today? Shall we? Maybe? You don't need a yes to that, do you? God, of course. I was, I, was gonna, I was hoping you would jump, jump in seamlessly. All right, seamlessly. We've recently been, uh, as, we, as I said, we went to um, Econ up in Harrogate just before uh, COVID-19 really became uh, the world's leader's story. And we did get some gaming in. Now, Sean, I need to pull you up on something here. Are you oh. ready? Go on, then. Well, every time we talk about Aircon in the build-up, you say that it's our main gaming con and we go there to play games all the time, but we don't really. All right, we go to get drunk and then recover while playing games. Is that better? And eat and see a bit of the town and chill out. <laughs> I think, okay, so our most relaxing con, shall we say that? Okay, yeah, sure, let's say that. What, what do you go to Aircon for, Natalie? I go to Aircon to watch you two stumble around with massive hangovers on the Saturday because that's a good time. We were quite well behaved on the Friday night, I thought. Moderate, moderately so. Did you see the state of Shawnee the next day? Oh, well, that's, that's none of my business. Like. <laughs> I will say Harrogate has got an amazing Weatherspoons. Now, clearly the man who runs Weatherspoons has proven himself to be an imbecile in the last three weeks, but that is an amazing pub. Oh, Harrogate's just lovely anyway. It is a lovely place. And I just, I do really enjoy Aircon for you know, the gaming space. There's a few traders there now, which is nice for a little walk around, but it really is all about getting them games played, which is nice. Concentrated gaming time. It really do be gaming, though. Shall we... Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to run through... I should have probably... I'm trying to count in threes now while I'm talking. Run through about... More than 10, but less than 20 games. <laughs> that that Some games. <laughs> Yeah, just a, a light whisk across the top of them. Some of them expansions. So, ah, whatever. This is stuff we played while we were there, people. So, we're just going to run you through them quick. And the first one is Watergate. It's the two-player card game that I have already reviewed at some point uh, by Matthias Kramer, in which one side's Nixon and the other side of the editors attempting to unveil Nixon's plot. And I got this played with Ellie when we first turned up and people were, were turning up and people were here, there and everywhere. We just brushed out a couple of two-player games and this was one of them. And this time I played as the editor when I've always played as Nixon before and I've been playing Rachel in all our games. For two things, I guess, that were interesting. One was that I... I have seen Rachel play against me. I've seen her make the mistake. 
mistake of not getting enough suspects in play early because you've got to link suspects back to Nixon and thinking, oh, that's really bad. You're really handing me the game. Guess what I did? Did you fail to get enough suspects in play? Yeah, uh, insight, a searing insight there. Oh, I tell you, I'm on four. I failed to get enough suspects in the mail. I was like, oh, I can't believe I've abused her so many times for doing that. And then I fell into exactly the same trap. And the second thing was, I said that I thought it felt really thematic as Nixon in what you're trying to do. On the other side, as the editor, it also feels really thematic, but it's frustratingly thematic because you do feel like you are tantalisingly close to being able to put this web of evidence together but Nixon has just got these big players that he plays again and again these helpers these backers and they knock back your plan and you feel like you're playing better and you're getting more evidence but he's just able to pull out the cards and now and then just absolutely hammer blow you and go nope doing that or take control of a whole round and go right this round's over and you do feel like the underdog fighting against the power in the game but you, you still have a chance to win I do think maybe the editor's harder to win with but I'll need to play as it more to unveil it but playing as the other side only heightened my enjoyment of Watergate if you're not very familiar with the subject material or maybe not that interested in it does it does it stand up as just a game to and fro without having the theme added into it i am neither familiar nor terribly interested in the Watergate <laughs> I've got the barest fingertip grip on what actually happened there. Certainly not the ins and outs. I don't know who these people are, apart from the main players, and basically they're just names to me. So uh, the theme is not what pulled me in here. It's not a theme specific to that actual scandal. Whether that is true or not, and whether the cards actually ring true to certain events, I don't know. I just know the feeling of each side is that you feel paranoid as Nixon and you feel oppressed as the editor. And, you know, it, broad strokes, that's got to be what they were going for. Natalie, have you got any interest in this game, two-player game, where, where you're, you're taking on Nixon or you're being Nixon? Not really. That is, <laughs> I'm standing very, very unsure. But, I mean, the theme doesn't grab me, I think. Well, I don't want to get into politics. I know a little bit about Watergate. Not particularly interested in playing a game around it, but... You know, I'll never say never if you bring it home, which I'm sure you will if you have any interest, because I'm sure you haven't bought a game in the last 15 minutes. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Uh, anyway, no, moving swiftly on to a game that I know, well, an expansion for a game that I know you are both very excited about. Yes, mm. it's Baron Park Bad News Bears by uh, Phil Walker-Harding and published by Lookout Games. So I had an opportunity on the Sunday to sit down and play a game with the Brothers Murph. They've won various podcasts around the gaming industry and I'm sure people will be well aware of them. It was a lot of fun to play with them and they, they bust out this expansion for us. I will be upfront and say that I love Baron Park anyway. And the Bad News Bear expansion just brings an extra tile. So instead of having the four tiles that place, you place your animal attractions on, you now have five. And you also have these bigger sections. They take up a lot more real estate and you get them by trading in other sections that you have collected through your tile gathering process. And we, we had a good laugh, didn't we? Apart from Nick injuring himself quite badly. So there's a little bit of blood. I was unsure what the expansion would bring and in the end having thought about it I think it makes the game a little bit too long the addition of that extra fifth game board to fill in its entirety to make way for those bigger pieces those bigger animal attractions pushes that game beyond a comfortable length for me I'm not sure what you thought about it Shawnee 
Yeah, I thought it was a little bit longer than I, I wanted it to be. Maybe that's because we are also playing a four-player game. We also had to wait for Nick or Mike, I can never remember which is which, Nick. to go and stem, stem the blood after he'd slashed himself open. Nick or Mike? Nike. Anyway, there was also another expansion in the box, wasn't there? They, they briefly ran through it, but we only played with the one. Yeah. I think if you added both of them in, I think it definitely would be too long. I think... Y'all played with the wrong half of that expansion. You reckon the other one's better? I think the other one is... See, it does add length, but it adds real thinkiness to it. It adds the monorail, right, where you have to go at right angles from green space to green space. But those monorail cars are worth a lot of points. You look at it and go, oh, that's too much fuss. I can't really be bothered with it. And then someone starts doing it, and you're like, no, no, I need their points. I need <laughs> you start trying to... And you're really... You know, you kind of have to plan ahead a bit in Baron Park anyway in order to collect the right ones to make sure you've always got something to do. That makes it so much more that you're having to plan ahead and leave a space for a green thing in the right place. And Yeah, but but it depends what you want from Baron Park, right? And I think it's true with the half you played as well because it does make it longer just with the bigger tiles. It's uh, it's a different type of bear, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's a lot more real estate to be placing and there are a lot more awkward shapes so you do have to do quite a bit of forward planning and actually the the points that they're worth could be negated by the fact that you then have to use a little few, uh, a few more green tiles which obviously aren't worth any points so you know it's it's about what you can realistically play without having one of these big real estates and then just filling it all the rest of it with green which is not going to score you anything yes yeah, so well i think they work best in in duality in that because you've got to use more greens yeah. then the green becomes more useful with the monorail but if you want from Baron Park a 35 minute quick game that's fun and it's a tile layer this turns it into an hour long game that's got a lot on it and a lot thinkier and you you can get stimmied in your plans ahead so it just completely changes the nature of Baron Park so it, it's kind of a good expansion because it adds a lot it takes it out of where it's been successful which is not to say we didn't have a good game i came second yay but again i just thought a little bit too long i i we've got the expansion i don't know that i break out the bad bear expansion when we're playing just i want to play with the monorail they look cool they look cool for monorails <laughs> just on the board a little razy razy yeah i'd like to give the monorails a go cool let us move on to a very deep game it's llama design i actually <laughs> didn't know this was designed by reina knizia when i was when i was just when i was doing my research for this so like it was up for spiels and it was a big yeah thing. it was it was, it was. Yeah. yeah i didn't realize it shows you what i know and it's coming from amigo games very simple card game where you're laying down and everyone has to play subsequent cards on their turn you're trying to get rid of your cards as quickly as you can a little bit more to it than that, Ronan, but just a real fun party game, essentially. Is there more to it than that? Is there? Probably not, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> it just cycles from one to six to llamas and back round to one again, and you've got to be able to play the number that's out or the next number up from your hand. And if you can, you do, and if you can't, you either quit and take that number of negative points or you draw another card. Yeah, That's suppose, it. yeah, yeah. I suppose the only other choice is when do you when do you quit? Do you quit and take what you've got cuz multiple cards just count as the one thing. So if I've got five fours in my hand, I only take four at the end of the game and it's whoever's got the least points that wins it. But I just think it's a funny, silly take that game. I've never had a game where people were just sitting around the table laughing. So I think for that alone it's worth it. 
When you explained it, I was like, hmm. And now thinking back on it, I was, I'm like, ah. Then why during it was I wetting myself the whole time? How many llamas did you have there then, Roly, in that in that one round we played? <laughs> I, I, I had, I presume that the South American continent was bereft of, uh, of camel relatives. I don't know. I don't know. How would you classify llamas? Anyway, I'm trying to make a point. I had a lot of llamas. There was, was a lot of llamas. And could we buy a three? No, we could not. It was just me <laughs> yeah, and we you stuck. sat there just waiting for a three. There's who's going to f- quit first on just drawing and getting 48 cards in your hand? Like, no, no threes. No, 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 no. I've got all fours, five, sixes and llamas. I just need one three and I'm ready to kill you. No, no, still not a three. No, no, still not a three. Sean having a cardiac. That was like That's because he hidden all the threes, I bet. <laughs> I have no idea where that came from. I was keeping more than just the threes. I was keeping the ones, the twos, the threes, the fours, the fives, the sixes, and the llamas. I think you'll find. Listen, you weren't keeping the llamas. (laughs) 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 Rowley was keeping the llamas, and I had the sixes. There's a prize for having most llamas in your hand, right? (laughs) Is Is that prize losing? Oh. You knew it was either really bad or really good when Ronan just sat there laughing at his hand. (laughs) <laughs> but the game's nothing so why was I laughing so much because the game's just like yeah it's Canizia man he's a genius he's just turning the most simple rule set into a funny game I don't know how he does it, it I'm hilarious. willing to accept that as one of two possibilities <laughs> either he's a genius or I'm a complete idiot it's one of those a little two bit of column A uh... <laughs> little bit of column B <laughs> It's nice when your family's got your back. That's what I'm here for. Okay. Right. I'm going to move on from this llama-based abuse. It's not the first time Sean's been up in public for that. <laughs> Bunny <laughs> Kingdom an alpaca. in... <laughs> that's not what he's And that's for. why we moved to Dudley, because you don't get done for that up here. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm moving on very quickly to, unfortunately, Bunny Kingdom. I'm sure... <laughs> Sean's done a few things with rabbits anyway. You had rabbits, didn't you, when I had you were a kid? One rabbit called Fluffy. Yeah. <laughs> your, your, dad, your dad built hutch. me the hutch. Yes, I am. Um, that's all true. Anyway, <laughs> fascinating. Bunny Kingdom uh, in the sky is the expansion to Bunny Kingdom. Quick roll call. Who here loves Bunny Whoop. Kingdom? Yay! It is a, yeah, a cross-family favourite. It certainly is, and it's one of Rachel's absolute favourites, and she was very excited to get the expansion out because we'd all played it before, and it adds a fifth player, and we played five player, and In the Sky adds a supplementary board, and everyone gets more bunnies, and it adds a whole load of new cards, which are both linked to the board and do other things on the main board, and you draft more cards in this game with In the Sky expansion. It adds a load of unique resources. So if you know the game, you'll know that you're trying to build up fiefs. I never know. Five, fief, foof, something. With loads of castle towers in and loads of resources in. But there's three basic resources and only seven luxury resources in the base game. So they are at a premium. This adds a plethora of wondrous and luxury resources. Yeah, you like that. Completely changing the whole scoring system within the game. 
and also a whole bunch of parchments and powering up certain parchments already in the game. And the whole scoring system is the same, but completely revamped and super powered. And you have more cards and it is Bunny Kingdom on steroids. Now, Sean, I have often referred to you as a bunny on steroids. Uh, Natalie chose to marry you, so surely she must have enjoyed this experience. So, I love Bunny Kingdom. I'm very bad at Bunny Kingdom. I didn't... This sounds like your defence is getting into this. Go on. Yeah. No, seriously, I'm awful at Bunny Kingdom. And so, as my main tactic, what I chose to do was ignore the expansion. I didn't get it. And I'm very sorry. Because I feel like Rachel would be scowling at me and I'll be up for some abuse on WhatsApp later. In theory, I think it sounds great, but I really did just kind of ignore it. I tried to get up there a little bit too late by that point. Uh, you, Ronan, and Sean had already been up there. Rachel, who is some sort of savant at it, who just gets Bunny Kingdom and absolutely wallops us every single time. Then I came to it a bit late, by which point, obviously, with the drafting of the cards, people had already set up. And I should have just done what Ellie did and stay far away from it. I think I will like it if I get to play with it properly, but I didn't this time. I really enjoyed. Were they the carotiers or something? The little, the little carotidels. Carotidels. That's the thing. They were cool. It's like a citadel, but it's made of carrots. See? Oh, they were awesome. I didn't think I'd break that down for you. I think it was all there in the world. <laughs> apparently, other than that. I just felt that it added noise that Bunny Kingdom just didn't really need. If you got the cards that they came up, why you might want to go and try it just for something different, just to collect something different. But I just don't see how Bunny Kingdom needs it. Bunny Kingdom is such a random game that gives you different experience. Not, not different experience, but it gives you just sort of different layouts every time. It's, it, by its nature, it's going to be every game is going to be slightly different, and you're going to be placing in different areas. You're going to be collecting different things, and I just didn't see the point of the expansion, to be honest. In fairness, now I think I would play with the Carotidels, and there's one other card in that whole expansion that I'd play with again. <laughs> <laughs> so we played it again when we came back with three players because we thought, for starters, the whole five player thing didn't work. No, not at all. No, not at all. It was too much going on, too many people on the board, even with the supplementary board. They're just the whole thing was getting filled up so much. So we thought we'd try it with three players, see if just the fact that there was two extra players. Now, not necessarily you two, but you can take it a little bit personally, but not, not fully personally. <laughs> but just when the two other players were the problem. So we played it three-player, and same same issue that it's just... Like what you said, Sean, it's just noise, and it's not fun. And there's, a, there's all these areas up there with these wondrous goods, but there's no space to build anything. Mm. So then you have to link them down to the main board, and there's only two ways of doing that. And it's it's spatial as well, so you have to get onto the two starts of rainbows, which are down the bottom of the new board, and build out from there. So a lot of the time when you're grabbing stuff from up top, there's not a lot you can do with them. And they end up being their own weird little thieves up there, doing like their own weird little thing. Really, the only issue that I have now, having played the base game a lot, is that there's not many luxury goods. And it brings in one extra luxury good just for the main board, that chicken thing. I'd always play with that because it removes some of the luck of being able to draw luxury goods in your hand. And that the other strange thing as well is that 
because there's so many in play and you're getting so many more cards, some of those parchments just got super powered and became either much easier to do or much just much easier to score points from. And it just it felt like parchments got overpowered in both games. Yeah, I agree. I was a little bit disappointed, really. I do love a bit of Bunny Kingdom. I was hoping yeah, that the expansion. Yeah, more than a bit disappointed. Yeah, I was hoping that the expansion would really add something to. It. I love the game. I know it's completely random. I am very bad at it, but I love it so much. And I was just hoping for that. You know, when a good expansion comes to a game and just elevates it. And I really just felt that this de- this detracted from it, which is why I didn't bother going up there. It was like, well, I couldn't. I couldn't see a way that, you know, you build your fi- your fiefs up there and you can't link them down, which, as you say, you've really only got two options. Then what's the point? Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, Natalie, yeah. you're going on to a holy cow, which I have previously slain. Yes. I <laughs> know oh, I haven't got to review this one too much, I know. So this is Paladins of the West Kingdom uh, by Shem Phillips and S.J. McDonald, and it's been published by Garfield Games and Renegade Games. So... This has been covered on the show before, I believe. It is a worker placement. Again, I think trying to do something a little bit different. You're playing workers down to go up various scoring tracks to get your points. You're doing this through a theme of praying, absolving, converting, fortifying, building houses. And it's all it's all very mixed in there. So I've played this a couple of times now. And the first time I played it, I played it with Rachel and Ellie. And I know it's a favourite of Rachel. And uh, Rachel just absolutely decimated me. It was quite, for me, I think, a difficult game to get my head around. Absolutely. Like she scored twice my points quite easily at a canter. It was a procession. And so I came home and thought, well, I'd really like to play it again to see if where I went wrong and whether I can improve on that score and to see if there is a way that I can do something different. So I came home and I played it with Shawnee. And I actually then tried to follow uh, tried to follow the path that Rachel had taken with getting the feeding off the uh, converting and absolving actions. And we got to the end and I felt a bit deflated because I thought that it was just a little bit too much faffing for the amount of points that I ended up getting. You are very dependent on the luck of the cards that come out, whether they're the townspeople or the people that you go and attack or convert. Very dependent on those. If you're not getting those cards that can link together nicely for end-of-game scoring or in-game chaining together to make big rounds, then really you're just stuck doing kind of little fiddly things and maybe three or four turns around if you can't get something to chain together. And I, I I was a little bit disappointed at the end of it because... In the first game, I rated it quite highly. What? What's happened here? I've been thinking. In my head, you were going to come in and say, it's a wonderful game. I don't know what you're talking about, Ronan. You're talking nonsense. It's, a, it's just a brilliant experience. And I was then going to come in and go, well, I wanted to agree with you as well, Natalie. And it turns out I do agree with you, Natalie. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that come from? I've been thinking about it, and I was just... In the other games from these designers, you're not so beholden to luck when you're trying to score your points. And so in this, where you can't really do anything to change the cards, you can't kind of pick up your own end of game scoring. 
I just found that that was very dependent. Now, Rachel played the game incredibly well, and I'm not taking anything away from her. She saw the chains of cards that she could pull together. And I just, maybe I just don't see that when I'm playing. Maybe I just don't understand the game fully enough. But for me, you are dependent on those cards coming out and whether you can attain those cards. So you have to pay for those cards by having enough kind of flags in the right colour, as it were, so that you can do your attack action or your convert action or whatever it may be. So even if I could see cards that were going to chain together, there was no way of me quickly getting flags to get at those cards. There's just something missing for me. Okay, so for me, I really, really, for three quarters of the game, I was really enjoying the experience. I, th- I was thinking, no, Ronan's totally wrong. Natalie, you're right. This is a really great game. I was chaining things together. I was doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you know, I felt like everything was coming together. And I felt I was being really clever in my, in my play. I, I was really sort of moving along all the different tracks on the board. And then when the scoring came around, again, that, that, that word's going to come out, deflated. I just felt like because that card turned around and benefited you, Natalie, and didn't benefit me, and I'm talking about the main scoring cards as they flip around each round, mm. I just got completely stitched. And I didn't realise how much points weren't in the game. So they were they were massive and they were absolutely fundamental to winning the game. And also the the, the three tracks where you're building up your 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 blue, your black, and your red tracks on the side, absolutely fundamental. You take those away and everything else is almost like a tiebreaker. So all the stuff you're doing on the board, unless you're gearing towards those two things, and unless you get a little bit lucky with the card turn, I just felt it didn't matter. So I felt I put all that effort in and it didn't matter. Now, I'd still like to give the game a go because I was enjoying it with the knowledge of how to score, what the scoring is, is likely to be around and where I should be focusing my efforts. But still, so disappointing. I'd heard so so many good things about this one. And, uh, Ronan, you were right. Wow, mate. You know, the quicker you get on board, the easier your life is going to run. That's all I'm saying. I can only point you in the right direction, my friend. I can draw the map. I can't make you walk the route. I, I've got a question, Shawnee. Yo. You weren't a massive fan of this game. Is it that you want to play this game again because I'm the person that will be playing it with you and you just want to beat me again? You beat me, I think you'll find. Uh, I don't think I did. Well, he was beaking that you beat him. Really? He moaned about it about oh, three done. seconds later. So I think you probably did. <laughs> While she checks her app. While she checks her app. It wasn't okay. by much. So Natalie, firstly, don't ever feel bad about losing this game to Rachel because you're playing what we call a, a human level. <laughs> and whatever realm she is in playing Paladins. Is every time I've seen her play it, She's just incredible at it. I mean, ridiculously good. And she could choose different paths to go down and still be amazing at it. I don't know. She clicks with this game. Her and Shen Phillips should become drinking buddies or something. Because there's nothing going on there where them two are just like, yep, 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 got it right. Yeah, cool. My brain works the same way your brain does. Secondly, I am going to use some confirmation bias here and stick with it that games often are rated according to the first experience with them. And you have a bad first experience, that game is going to be underrated by you until you get far down the road. And if you have a good first experience, it will be overrated by you until you get further down the road. And the good puzzle bit, Sean, that you said you enjoyed until you got to scoring, yeah. and that Natalie, you said in the first game, I think I'm 
just getting more and more convinced the more people I talk to this game is riding on the coattails of a good first one or two games or three until you start clicking over realizing I'm doing a lot of work for nothing here and I'm doing the same puzzle game after game and it doesn't change enough and the things that do change I have no control over I am absolutely certain this is Emperor's New Clothes and this this will end up being a game that plummets down the rankings because it doesn't hold up I stick Ooh, by that strong words strong words I'm telling you man every time I play it I have less fun <laughs> so the next game we're going to bring to you is the the hotness of the moment is the one on everyone's lips it's the crew the quest for planet nine designed by thomas singh coming from cosmos games it is very much a trick-taking game it's a trick-taking game in which you cannot communicate to each other as to what you are doing you are trying to fulfill various tasks whether it's to have the number four the blue four as the last card in the deck and the only way you can communicate to each other is by indicating when you play a particular card, whether that might be the highest card of that colour in your hand, the lowest card of that colour in your hand, or somewhere in the middle. That means that it's obviously in the middle, and these cards you've got of that ilk are higher and lower. And it's a cooperative game, so that's why you're trying to get this information to everybody else around the table, but without speaking. It completely baffled me. I am not a trick-taking gamer i don't really understand trick taking very well so although i found the game really interesting and i've heard enough from people that i trust their opinions to believe that this is a really good game it was beyond my grasp i just didn't get it i was still been taught the basics of trick taking whereas natalie and matthew who we played with were kind of at that that next stage they were thinking about right if i if i'm going to do this on the next turn i'm going to try and get natalie to do this and if sean if you follow uh, what so i'm not ready for the crew is what i'm saying i i think i need to play a few more trick-taking games before i could play this game and i think that may be its problem in the wider audience i don't know how many people will be ready for it that's my opinion uh, probably quite a few people, mate. <laughs> Trick-taking games are quite... They're, I know quite they're very common. popular, but not everybody gets them. Not everyone understands them. It's me, I know, I know. So, before you go to a proper review of this game from Natalie, who actually is good at very good at trick-takers, and you don't need my uninformed opinion, um, they, we plan to have this in our next small box pit fight, Eleanor and I. However, the plan is, because I don't think the girls are very familiar with trick-taking, is to play with the deck just like a simple trick taker a few times. Yeah. So they get their head around that and then start going into the missions and slowly going through them and not leap into mission 17, first of all, or whatever it might be. So, Sean, that sounds like an opportunity for you to join in with us so that we can all learn trick taking together and take it as a journey. Jolly good show. <laughs> Natalie, what, how did you find this one? Okay. I have Ooh. a disclaimer to make. And the disclaimer is this. I love trick-taking games with a deck of cards. I grew up on them. It's why I'm good at them. I played every Friday night at my nan and granddad's for money. I love a trick-taking game. I do not particularly enjoy trick-taking games that the board game industry comes out with. I think nearly all of them could just as well be played with a deck of cards. Having said that, I think the added interest of these missions give it an extra something. Again, you know, I don't know that there's anything different. You probably could still play it with a, with a regular deck of cards and still have missions with it. That's something that's a little bit different. 
I would like to go further with those missions. As Shawnee said, we didn't get particularly far. Maybe I should just get a regular card night with you, Shawnee, every Friday to teach you some trick-taking games so that you can dive straight in. Yeah, well, I'd certainly would be able to make a decision on whether I like trick-taking games because at the moment I just don't get them. I just don't understand them. And I suppose once I go down that path, I'll understand if I'm going to like this game or not. Nat, did you get a feeling whether you thought you were having fun with it already in the early missions or whether it's something you did want to explore more? Uh, like, Were you frustrated you weren't playing it with better trick-taking players? <laughs> I mean, I do think, no, I genuinely do think that some, something that requires that kind of cooperation whereby you can't actually talk about what's in your hand and what you're doing needs to have players that are familiar with those kind of games. So... If you have played Hearts or Bridge, then you are going to be good at this game because it's that same kind of partnering and same kind of understanding what someone else might have in their hand from what they've played before and how they've positioned themselves in the table. This game, I think, is absolutely well suited to people who have played trick-taking games before and understand the strategies that come when you're trying to partner with somebody and it would be a better game in that if you have got three or four novices playing this game it's just going to be a mess i really look forward to reviewing it up <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna go really well i mean okay. that, i mean that's just you know that is just my opinion and i as i said up front i'm quite a, i'm a bit of a snob about these things because i grew up on trick-taking games there's not a trick-taking game with a deck of cards that i haven't played we had five in my family so we used to play a lot of trick-taking games we play hearts a lot and all that yeah so I have a background in it, but I am terrible at them. <laughs> but I have a background, so I can play them. But I, the whole thing of, I played this eight, so you must know that I'm holding the 11. I'm like, well, there, there is no 11. All right, Ronan. That, that'll be a problem. I played the eight, so you must know I've got the jack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I see, I, I see I, I where don't. the problem lies. <laughs> yeah, no, I told you I was no good at them. Yes. I'm going to move away from trick-taking games and stop making an, another arse of myself. Fistful of maples, everyone. From Johnny Pack Cantin and Final Frontier Games is a Western themed Mancala ish game ish. in which there is ish, yeah, ish, in which there's a town which has got various building plots along it and a bunch of meeples of different colours get laid out. And on a player's turn, they pick up those meeples and they go clockwise or anti clockwise in a Mancala fashion, dropping one off as you go. And when you drop certain colours into certain areas, it allows you to either collect things. If you drop a robber in with a load of miners, it'll nick gold. If you drop miners in with whatever, you collect gold again. If you the sheriff can get a load of robbers and put them in jail, then again, you'll get gold for doing that. You can get stone from doing various things. And then there's also, you can drop builders into free areas and you can build your own buildings there. And when everyone stops at your building with a thing and they activate it, you get something good for it, but they get something good for it. So you're, you're taking up the plots of land in the town and you're moving them around and you're trying to collect gold. And when you get a load of gold at once, you can buy a special bonus tile. And when all the bonus tiles are gone or a couple of other things, like a madam comes around and can round up miners and put them back to the saloon and stuff. Or, or there can be jailbreaks where, where dynamite goes off that a certain number of times the game will finish and you're going to score points for the gold you've got the bonus tiles you've collected the buildings you've built and upgraded and generally how well you've played over about only 30 minutes in this clever little game now these two guys didn't play it with me and i will say that i used the word clever and that is my main review of it because what he's done in a small box with a limited mechanism is clever 
and it's fun. It wasn't overly engaging. As with all Mancala games, it changes a lot on everyone else's turn. So the planning ahead you can do is limited, but each of the decisions is relatively small. You can certainly play well and win, as displayed by the other two players, and you can play poorly and understand you could have done better, as displayed by me. And it is a competent, clever game, which I enjoyed when I played, which if it's firing off you, I'd say, go and give it a go. But not one I tell you to rush out and buy. I was engaged plenty. I'd happily play it again, but I didn't fall in love with a fistful of meeples, but I admire the design. I was watching you play this one, Ronan, with uh, Chris and Ellie, and, I, and this is completely just someone watching a game, not playing it. It just looked forgettable. You guys weren't massively invested. You were kind of looking around when it wasn't your turn. You were chatting away with each other. Nobody was really focusing on the game that much. Well, Ellie was, because she absolutely <laughs> trounced us. Yeah, but it's one of those games that it was light, but I wasn't not engaged in the game. I just couldn't make decisions until the other Mancolas had been done, and I saw what they chose to do, and then I could look at the board, and, and you know, you have an idea where meeples are building up in certain areas and what moves may be available, but until the dust has settled, you can't choose what your turns are going to be. So. Yeah, yeah. Just... Building off that, Ronan, do you think, therefore, that there maybe is a little bit too much reliance for your turn on someone else's turn? Like, if you can't plan a strategy because you've got to wait for someone to either set you up or finish moving their bits and bobs around the board, do you think that that's too much? That's the issue I had with Five Tribes, which I think is the game of this ilk that kind of is going to be referred back to as Touchstone because it's such a massive game that there was too much reliance on other players and it was too long a game and I was waiting too long in between turns to not be able to know what to do and other players could set other players up and people could win by other players' poor play. In the Fistful of Meeples, it's so quick. Even a player's turn is like boom, boom, boom and every single action, is there's nothing fiddly. There's nothing obscured. When they're doing something, it's very clear. I do this, that gets me two of those and one of those. I do go in this building, that gets me two stone and one gold. I go here, this robber nicks from these miners, yeah? It's all so clear what they do that it's actually very quick. So although we might have been looking up and looking around and talking, when we look back to the board, we didn't have the problem of sitting there going, right, now I have to sit here for five minutes and work out what my options are. That's part of the cleverness design. It's all very, very clear, and you just go, right, yeah, cool. There's my move, and I'm going to do that. So that's, that's where it worked, and the downtime and thinking time was very limited. Cool. Right, that was Fistful of Meeples. Now, Ronan and Ellie actually reviewed this game in our last, very last episode, but Natalie, me and you are just going to run our, our... Mouths? Mouths, something. We'll run something over it. Our minds, no, maybe not. Run each other through in another domestic incident. <laughs> hey! Shh. Listen, this lockdown has got everybody on edge. What's the game now? <laughs> Oriflame. Um, and it's designed by Adrian Hesling and Axel Hesling, and it's published by Studio H. So it has been reviewed already. Very quickly, you all have uh, a deck of cards. They represent a family or a lord and ladies in his court. And all of the um, people within his court do different things, much like Love Letter. Um, and what you're going to do is every turn, you're going to lay a card down. You're going to lay either at the end of the row either end of the row and then it's going to have an effect you're going to lay it face down and after all the cards have been laid you're going to choose whether to flip your card face up or not as to whether it then will have a reaction on the rest of the row and so you do that and you play seven cards and then the person with the most money at the end is the winner right i am going to say because i name checked love letter at the beginning i'm not a huge fan of this game 
I hate the deduction element within card games. It never gels with me. I don't particularly have fun doing it. And by the time it has gelled with me, the game is over and I've got like two and a half points. Therefore, I don't necessarily think that I will play this again. Shawnee? I, re- I really liked it. I really liked it. I loved the spatial element to it and kind of the ability to move other people's cards around and to take them out of the game. Obviously, the first round, it was just complete shots in the dark. We didn't really know what we were doing. But by the end of the game, I knew how I could have played that better and how I could have laid set traps and how I could have bluffed the other players. And I think in in subsequent games, I think Ronan and Ellie sort of have certainly played it subsequently. And they were talking about how it how it grew for them and their control over things grew. I'd like to investigate that a little bit. And yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was French game of the year. unreliable source Uh, now I know you said you didn't want to play it again if you were to be forced to due to uh, unforeseen circumstances do you feel that it may grow on you in that you get to know what the cards were in the game or is it just something that you just just don't like that style whatsoever I don't like that style I don't I very much see it as a love letter-esque game and I to my bones hate love letter i don't really think it's necessarily going to grow on me it sounds like i'll be playing it though because there's no one else that's going to play with shawnee at the moment yeah i i mean it's it's not my thing at all well you're saving graces it doesn't play two player so oh that's all right then. that's all right then <laughs> so okay sean loved it Natalie, not so much. Ellie and I both really liked it. So there you go. Different views on Oriflam. Sean, you're taking us in the Wayback Machine to two Essens ago? Two Essens ago, but a slightly different version. Four-player version of Tokyo Highway. And designed by Naotaka Shimamoto and Yoshiaki Tomioka. And coming from Itten Games. So... Tokyo Highway, very much a balancing game to start with. You're trying to balance roads and cross each other's roads to try and score. A little bit of take that, a little bit of planning ahead, because every time you use your road to cross under or over somebody else's road, you get to lay one of your cars on your roads. And the roads are going to go up and down in size, depending on how many of the pillar you lay them on. And the first person to get rid of all their cars is going to win the game. Really delicate balancing going on. I bought the game for James thinking that there'll be a good fun family game because we we did like junk art we really liked meeple circus and he really enjoyed that type of game but with tokyo highway i think it was a little bit too gamey for him he didn't really understand like the gamey part of it and planning ahead a little bit i think probably a little bit old for him and if i'm honest I didn't particularly enjoy it myself. I found it really fiddly. I found it quite frustrating and I just didn't get on with it at all, to be honest. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's putting cars on pieces of wood with tweezers. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The whole fiddliness leading to the building near to yourself to doing the sort of undercutting, overcutting and the meanness is the whole point of the game. So it's a very strange game in that it's fiddly with meanness in which you're trying to lay traps for the other players. Mm. So it's, yeah, definitely not a family game. And yet, 
who wants to play a fiddly mean dexterity game that's like that that's really actually thinky as well it's a very unusual mix i can see why it hits home for some people it it wasn't entirely my cup of tea Agreed. I mean, I'm not a massive dexterity fan, but there are ones that I've played that I've enjoyed, as, as Shawnee said, Junkart and Meeple Circus. And, you know, the primary thing about those is that they are fun and it's a bit of a giggle and it doesn't really matter. And we do it to see the smile on James's face when he's played something particularly fiddly. And uh, Tokyo Highway is a little bit more thinky, a lot more fiddly. And let me tell you, these hands cannot do that level of dexterity. <laughs> like, just not happening i don't think you get to say that on this podcast i don't think you get to claim worse hands i'm not, I'm not claiming worse hands i'm telling you these hands <laughs> people can then extrapolate about you guys <laughs> i think we learned one thing about our son he is never going to be a brain surgeon those hands were not made for delicate. <laughs> His father's son. Yep, sure is. <laughs> Whoever he is. Okay. <laughs> My next game is, now if you listen, you'll know I'm not a big fan of Roland Rights, but I'm going to pick one out of the air for you. This one is called Dizzle. It's from Schmidtspieler and it's been picked up by Stronghold Games, designed by Ralph Zulinda. Dizzle is pretty much themeless. I'm going to... For some reason in my head, it has a computer game theme on it, but it doesn't really. But what you've got is a grid, which is a kind of funky shape. It's not a regular shape, in which there's three start spots in the middle and a bunch of normal dice get rolled. And then the first player drafts one of the dice and has to fill in with a cross an area, a square of that number. And the next player drafts a dice, the next player drafts a dice. And when it comes back to you, well, you've started off with a cross, you have to go adjacent to it in your next one. So you're looking at the pool of dice, you know making sure that you've got opportunities to continue going. Because if it comes around to you and you haven't got a valid space you can play in whatever's left in this pool of dice, then you've got two options. You can either stop, so therefore you're going to do fewer crosses, giving you fewer chances to score points, or you can pick up the whole lot and re-roll. But when you re-roll, if you still can't make a cross anywhere, you have to take a dice off your uh, off your board and put it back into the middle again. Meaning, again, you're even worse off than if you just stopped. So you're taking a bit of risk and a bit of push of luck. And you're looking to create chances so that you have lots of different options, obviously, which is easier at the beginning of a level than it is towards the end. Once everyone's finished drafting around, you then take all your dice off and put crosses in, and that's we move on from there. The way you score points is, again, it's irregular shaped, but by completing certain columns and certain rows, they'll score you lots of points at the end of the game. There's also sort of connected areas so if you go on both orange puzzle pieces they'll be at different ends of the board of your board then that'll score points or both blue ones or different areas or there's just different you know filling in different things now the base game comes with four levels so it starts off like that when you go to the second level there are areas that are harder to get to unless you land on a key which will then allow you to unlock a door meaning you won't have to go all the way around with dice you can get into point scoring areas you go on from there there's like a multi-island area so you start in one area but when you cross off a shuttle you can shoot across and then start filling in another area so they've got different ideas of what you do but the, the main main mechanism and the main interest to me really was that shared pool for drafting in that you're looking to see because it's very easy to see what other players want and oh oh you lot are after this desperately need this one six that's left to you i'm definitely going to take that six <laughs> wind you up and then of course the i've got the perfect set of dice coming towards me i've got my next two moves planned and then someone just goes oh well i'm just going to roll them and see what happens and you start cursing their name their family their mother and everything else about them 
it's not going to change the world, but it's one of the most enjoyable roll and rights that I've played because of that interaction, because of that shared resource, because you're all filling in the same board and certain numbers are more valuable at certain times. You can get them or risk it and push your luck. And it all added to quite a fun, very quick experience. And I can see why Stronghold picked it up. Let's dizzle. Any downsides at all for your own, or was it just uniformly fantastic across the board? Most downside is the fact that you have to roll dice and then you have to write on a piece of paper. <laughs> so this one's very, it sounds quite similar in, in terms of the, the way you mess with each other from the shared pool of dice, as you do in Cat Cafe, Natalie, as, as we know, as it was one of our favourite bits of Cat Cafe. It was like you had those dice and then you... You could see exactly what everyone's going for, whether Nat's collecting cushions or I'm going for the food bowl or what have you. You could you could sort of stop people doing what they want to do just as much as you can help yourself. So definitely, I, I warm to that. But one question I will ask is, do you think the bubble's going to gonna burst for these rolling rights? I hadn't even heard of Dizzle until you mentioned it, Ronan. So is it starting to wane? I think there's certainly a collection of people who will get most rolling rights that come out and they're rolling right fans but that's the same with any new mechanism remember there were people that bought every single deck builder that came out and i think it's it's gone to the point now where most people have got rolling rights that they enjoy if they enjoy them at all and it's going to be very hard to break through for another breakout hit so i think they'll sell a certain amount again i can only refer back to the last time i saw a mechanism breakout this was deck building every deck builder for a certain amount of years sold a certain amount of copies but we've got no more massive hits I think that's what's going to happen rolling right. They're all going to sell a certain number of copies and it's going to be incredibly hard to be a huge hit coming out of this. If this had come out right near the beginning, I think it could have got a wider audience. The fact that it's themeless, the fact that the name Dizzle doesn't mean anything, I could see it going under the radar, but it's definitely worth a few quid for a bit a bit of a laugh and I don't you know I don't like them so I don't own many rolling rights so I'm definitely not played out on them because I've tried a few and not enjoyed them so it was probably more refreshing to me than it would be to people who have been trying every single one or have been forced to play a lot of them by people who really enjoy them cool cool so next one is one that I've I'm on record of saying I really really enjoy and Natalie you had another game of it can Nat can I double check mm. Are you going to be talking about the gameplay experience or the pre-gameplay experience for Yukon Airways? I, I might just fold it all in. Let's go on a bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> you roll, because I, I think it, it was like longer to, to get going than it was to play. Yeah, it was. Shut up. Go on, tell the story. I'm telling the story and I'm remembering this conversation, Rowley. Never you mind about that. <laughs> My memory is long and I can hold a grudge. Good. Right. See you in nine the months. Ga- Carry on. <laughs> Don't worry. I can hold a grudge longer than 10 people I know. So the game we're talking about is Yukon Airways, designed by Al Leduc and published by Ludanova. So we all know it's basically your standard pick up and deliver. You are... Um, piloting a little plane. In my case, I always pilot the Turbo Beaver, and you are picking up passengers, (laughs) and you are dropping them off at some really exotic locations like Taco Bar and uh, Skegway and old Yukon. I mean, going all over the Yukon area. You're doing that by kind of picking up your cards and laying them down to play tickets and making sure you've got enough fuel and you're ramping up your bonuses and you're going to get money for taking passages and for fulfilling certain tickets and for going to as many different places as you possibly can by the end of the game. And the money is the points. Now, 
Before we go any further, I played this at Aircon and I was roped into teaching it because I was the only one amongst some, some of our friends that had played it before and I was happy to teach it. I've played it a couple of times. So I went and picked it up from the library and then I got it back upstairs to the main gaming hall to play the game and I opened this box and it was brand new, unpunched. Fellas, my heart dropped because you know, you know what I'm talking about. Then player boards that have got six dials with fiddly little arms on them. You know the pain. You're talking about 48 pieces of plastic to punch in and they're tiny little ones and sometimes they don't go right and sometimes they fling off. And then it just, you wreck it, the cardboard and then they don't go properly. And honestly, boys, it was very traumatic. Right, we give her a hug for the love of God, man. Get in there. No, I'm going nowhere near when she's in this mood. She could lash out at any time. <laughs> um, but having said that, I adore Yukon Airways. It was lovely to teach. I played with a great group of guys. I played with Dan Hughes and they seemed to enjoy it as a pick up and deliver. I think it's one of the best out there. I love the theming. I love the fact that, you know, the fuel is quite difficult to manage you can only you can you top out at a certain level of fuel at seven and you've really got to be planning if you're trying to fly further afield I, you know there's not there's nothing i don't love about this game and i won it i won it at aircon yay go me you bully uh, so <laughs> can't anyways I, i've said it in the in the show that we reviewed it it's one of the best games of 2019 that i've played thus far i really enjoy it still that slight caveat in that i don't know if you could play it regularly i think i don't know if it's a different enough experience to play regularly but when i do play it i thoroughly enjoy it it's a proper brain workout and a great game yeah it's a good game. I don't know that. I think I'd have opened that book, seen it, and gone, lads, we're playing something else. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe from that, you can gauge how much I like the game. <laughs> oh, man, honestly, I could have cried. I, I'm surprised you didn't because Mike came up to us like we didn't know and uh, we were like, all right, have you started yet? He's like, no. And he told us the story. And I, you know, we've had a few laughs that weekend. That might have been the biggest laugh that we had. <laughs> I can feel the sympathy, Ronan. Honestly, I'm touched. Oh, mate. Oh, there was tears. We were like, what? There, you, what you uh, I tell you what? something, matey. There will be tears. <laughs> Never you mind about that, my love. It'll be worth it for the crack we had. <laughs> you expense for that 30 seconds. And he was just like, I know, I know. We are like, what? <laughs> anyway, well, fair play to you. You're a trooper. I am. Thank you. <laughs> So, okay, moving onwards. This is Kitty Cataclysm, designed by Bez and coming from Stuff by Bez. So we had a quick game of this at Aircon with Bez herself, and we we took home a copy, and we played it uh, two-player here at home. And it's a very, very simple but funny and quite endearing card game. Where you are just trying to get trying to get rid of all your cards into into your kitty, uh -huh, and score points by doing this. But there's lots of take that and lots of like, okay, I'm going to take two of your cards and then I'm I'm going to make you pick up seven cards and I'm going to give you this and all, all the cards do something and a very very simple uh, set. But the the humour in the cards, like the cat ass trophy. Very good, and yeah, just just a really fun 
take that card game. And I think we both enjoyed it, Nat. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. You know, did Nat stay its welcome? There was a certain amount of pun humour on the cards, which I appreciated. And I think through the game, you were like, oh my God, look at this game. Sorry, look at this card. As I say, it doesn't outstay its welcome because I was like, do we have to go through the entire deck? But actually, given some of the cards that you pull out, you can end the game pretty much whenever you want. Like if you start getting bored, you just lay down this one card and the game's done. There's more games than I thought there'd be there because you do actually start thinking halfway through, right, if I do this and then if uh, if Nat does this and then I can do this. And, and it's, you, you, I started off really worried about there just being a take that for the sake of take that. Mm. But as she starts to come together and it's actually there's a, there's a little bit of cleverness in there within itself. Do you know much about Kitty Cataclysm, Ronan? No, I haven't played it. I've seen it all the way through with Bayes from the development and then last year at Aircon where she was getting everyone and at Essen to draw different cats and I drew a shockingly bad one for <laughs> her and, uh, and the, the playtest and that. So I've kind of been adjacent to it because you know I know Bez, but I haven't actually played the full version of it. So uh, no more than you have just said, Sean. But there's one thing you can guarantee is that she's a bundle of ideas and every time I play one of the games, some stuff by Bez, I know it's not just going to be same old, same old. That doesn't mean it's going to be 100% hitting every time, but it's definitely not going to be boring. It's going to be different, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And all, and everyone, I think, also, you've played, and it's become slightly more than you first thought when you first start playing. Yeah, and just to just to cap before we can move on, uh, Bez uh, informed us that she is redesigning some of the cards after doing all the playtesting at all the events. She just feels that she can balance the game a little bit better. She's going to do slight, a slight graphic redesign on the box and it's coming to kickstarter soon well i don't obviously the coronavirus has probably put some sort of kibosh on that but in in the coming months uh, ahead this will be coming to kickstarter so keep an eye out for it most importantly now at that stand did you get a demonstration of the balloon machine no no, we did not. We got hugs all the time, though, which was great. We got many, <laughs> many hugs. <laughs> it's a friendly place to be. <laughs> now, did you see the huge big balloons that had all sorts of different stuff in them, like little heart balloons yeah. and games and stuff like that? Yeah. Right. How do you get that stuff into a balloon? Brute force. Difficulty? Oh, well, now... If you'd only asked Bez, you'd have found out. <laughs> because at Nuremberg, she spent 400 and something, something euro to buy a machine to do it. And this is like something from Frankenstein's laboratory, right? It's got a balloon stretcher, which is a bunch of spikes that start in the middle and you put these special balloons over it and then you pull it apart and it, these spikes will spread out and stretch the balloon. And then you put them on this massive double glass bowl and then you create a vacuum so it gets sucked inside. And then, oh, mate, it was, it was much more complicated and much more fascinating than I could ever have imagined. It's, they're, in a, they're in a vacuum. They're not in... That's how right. it, it... The vacuum sucks it and then they're in air, but the whole thing is created by creating a vacuum that sucks the balloon out to size and you can put anything you like in it. It, trust me. Seriously, this podcast should be by video because the look on my face must be epic. So what now? <laughs> I've missed out. Ask. Oh, you need man. to ask next time. Well, I got full demonstration. Oh, I tell you, like... I'm collaring her next time. <laughs> anyway, I've talked about Rumble Nation before, you and have. it was the next one up. And the only reason I really wanted to bring it up is uh, every single person I have taught this. 25 to 30 minute area majority game two has gone 
Oh my god, that is so much better than I thought it was going to be. And this game just needs to be played by more people and needs to be picked up by a big company and needs to be released. It's fantastic and has been a 100% hit rate and it was again. I taught Matthew and, I mean, he loves every game we ever teach him anyway. But I think he super loved this one. <laughs> and it's just it's just a great game of it once more. It, I, it never fails to deliver. Fantastic, quick area majority game. Rumble Nation, for the love of all the gods, someone pick it up. I concur. Really, really good game. I really wish I'd have picked it up. I really wish someone had taught me. I feel like Billy No Mates now. Yeah, you wouldn't like it. It was there. It was definitely <laughs> there. We will get it played, trust me. I, I, I bring it everywhere. It's, it teaches in five minutes and you're rolling and playing. And yeah, I taught more than Matthew. I taught another game of it. And yeah, still, still. He does, yeah, bring, it every, it. He does bring it everywhere. Right in the middle of my mum's funeral. There he was, Rumble Nation. I was, yeah. In fairness, it was one of her favourite Japanese-themed area majority games there at the end. I thought it was touch and go, but you managed to get the baby to play it nicely. I thought that was good of that. <laughs> I, got, I got him to sleep, didn't I? <laughs> Is that how you did it? <laughs> Something like that. I started reading rule books to him. <laughs> he never falls asleep on anyone. Ha! <laughs> Agricola in German. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, Natalie, it sounds like you're getting violent again. Again? I never stop being violent. I'm like the Hulk. Oh, listen, I'm getting a little bit punchy and a little bit hysterical. Okay, next up, we have Throw Throw Burrito, um, and that was designed by Matthew Inman, Elan Lee, Brian Espence, and it's self-published, and it's it's also published by Asmodee Italia. For those of you that walk into bookshops like Waterstones, you can pick it up from Waterstones. So it's kind of made a jump. I do love a Waterstones, by the way. You, you do love, I love a Waterstones. Can never walk out without a full, a full bag, as they Seriously. say. Seriously. <laughs> Sean has literally banned me from Waterstones. It's, it's obscene. I'm, I'm the one that always the goes in there, because I always like to see what I know, but you go in with me, and you know what happens, and then you blame me. About that, about that feeling violent, Sean, shh, you're in danger. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, throw, throw burrito, yes. So it's essentially a card game with a couple of foamy burritos in the middle and you are going to do some set collection of by which you're going to score points. But part of this set collection is by collecting three cards that will allow you to throw, throw these burritos in different fashions at each other. We've played it with our son, James, a couple of times and... It's a lot of fun. You just end up laughing your bottom off, basically, as you're trying to uh, collect these cards so that you can get the most... Oh, man, now I'm stereotyping myself. You can get the most violent option where you can just pick it up and throw it at someone's head. It's a, I mean, it is a lot of fun. I, I'm looking forward to playing this again, Sean. We've got to get it out soon. If it wasn't for James, I would have been... That, that's just a pathetic attempt at a game, but... It's a seven-year-old's dream. He gets to hop a burrito off his dad's head. Like, what can you want in life? And it's his mother's dream as well. I get to hop a burrito off your head. Yeah, but you were hiding razor blades in it. That that wasn't nice. Listen, we're here for a good time, not a long time. (laughs) Jesus, who's having the good time? This took a dark turn. (laughs) Right, I've got no interest in throw throw burrito. I've got no interest in this domestic abuse either. Can we move on? Yeah, sure. sure. Okay, let's up. do it. Yes. Ghosts of the Moor from Michael Keesling and Wolfgang Kramer and Tasty Minstrel Games. I picked it up because it was cheap and it was on sale. <laughs> and that is why I, I picked up Ghosts of the Moor. Can I just double check something with you before you go any further? Mm-hmm. How many games did you sell in the Bring and Buy? 
We bought about 44, we sold about 30, and you bought some. Okay, but forget that. See what you just said about Ghost of the Moor? That's why you had to bring 44 games to try and sell them to clear out your house. <laughs> it's a tiny little one, Rowley. It doesn't count. It doesn't they count, all man. Count. It's a tiny, tiny little one. Oh, you can barely see it. Rowley, Rowley, it's not the ones he picks up from the bring and buy, matey. It's the ones that he gets delivered to the house in massive boxes every day. We're not talking about we're not talking about all in Kickstarters, okay? This, this is not a subject we can broach tonight. It's far too serious. Guy, all right, this is not a counseling session for you two. Call Relate. Ghost of the Moor, go. Ghost of the Moor. So you've got a team of characters that you've got to get from one end of the moor to the other. You're going to roll a die. When you land on a artifact, you get to take that artifact and keep it. When you land on a ghost, you get to take. You have to take the ghost. The whole thing is about moving ahead of all the artifacts and everything to get rid of said ghosts because ghosts are minus points and it's a real tactical game of what character do you move where they're going to move to do you jump ahead and grab the artifact because it can be taken off you uh, by the other players and first game of this we played it with James he bought it for James and he really didn't get it at all he didn't understand about taking the ghosts early so that you can get rid of them and set traps for other people to land on the ghosts. Because when you get rid of a ghost, you're able to place it at the end of the track. And so when people are getting towards the end, of the, they've got this sort of gauntlet to run. So he didn't get that at all. And he didn't really want to play it again. And he just said, I actually didn't enjoy that, Daddy. So I said, should I put it on the trade? I can sell it. I'll sell it for you if you want. And he said, no, I'll give it one more go. But the second time... It clicked for him and he was setting trap after trap and he really enjoyed it. And I think we enjoyed it as a family because of that. Yeah, we were. Well, I was certainly unsure about the first game and we were going to stick it on the trade pile. But then Jamesy came down and said that he wanted to try it again. And we tried it again. And because he'd got a hold of it in his brain and knew what he then had to do, it made the experience better for us. And again, it's always nice to see to see the leaps in thinking with him. Because I thought that was quite a tactical game. I thought that was was surprised that he wanted to try it again because I thought it was a little bit older for him. So to see him tackle that problem and come out the better was enormously gratifying and actually fed into my enjoyment of the game. And I'm looking forward to playing it again with him. Okay, well, this has got a fierce bad rating on BGG. <laughs> it's rated 9,000-something. You guys got enjoyment out of it. Why is it so poorly rated, do you think? I think well, I think we got enjoyment out of it through the eyes of James. I think if we were playing this game just the two of us or with you, Ronan, I think there isn't enough there. The The traps are very obvious. The, the cassette collection is very obvious. I'd just like to say, as displayed in last night's game of Tang Garden, I do nothing but make games more fun, light and breezy. Yes! Yes, the game that we thought was light and breezy that Ronan turned into a four-hour epic. <laughs> How did you turn that into a four-hour epic? <laughs> um, well, firstly, by getting some of the rules right. <laughs> I, I, was, I was horrific last night. I was horrific. I think I actually invented a new game. Well done. <laughs> the game that I explained was not Tang Garden. <laughs> But anyway, we're going to get back to Tang Garden because we'll review it in an episode coming soon. <laughs> Sorry, you were saying why it was underrated. 
Well, it was uh, underrated. No, I think I think it, the rating is probably a just rating for serious gamers and even adults. To be honest, I think it, it wouldn't hold much interest. But I think the learning curve through James was what what sort of sold it for us, and we enjoyed it through that. If, if I'm right in saying that, Nat. Yeah, I think that was a goodly proportion. But maybe just to touch on something that Rona mentioned earlier when we were talking was about those ratings being influenced by kind of the first or second play and I actually think this particular game needs a couple plays before you really understand the mechanism of well why am I picking up the ghost why do I even want to pick up the ghost how does it work because I thought that the first game was really just us getting our heads around the rules and then the second game is where we actually played the game I think some of those low ratings comes from that people have given it one or two games and have just not got the rules or bit, but I think the third game was very similar to the second game and I think if we played mm. it a fourth and a fifth and a sixth time I don't think we'd get anything new from it and I think we'd find the experience quite boring just the two of us but with with James maybe not maybe so okay so the last two games we're going to cover are games that We've both spoken, so I've spoken a lot about the first game, and those guys have spoken a lot about the second game, but we got to play each other's game. So while I'm going to introduce Castel Mathoni, I'm really looking for the thoughts of Sean and Nat, because you guys all know that uh, it's a game that I enjoy. It's done by Leo Corvini from Mandu Games. It's the idea that you're all Venetian merchants, you've taken control of an island, and now you're looking to control that island. It's about laying out walls, taking control of different areas, trying to earn money in order to buy areas either from the bank or from each other and kicking each other out of areas and getting majorities and in the end controlling areas on this island and having earned lots of money is going to win you the points now you know that i think it's an underrated game from essen last year i have now played it numerous times still enjoying it still lots of different experiences when you play depending upon how the players play new players tend to play differently to more experienced players that doesn't mean worse or better to be honest with you because there's so many variations you kind of have to always have to roll with what's going on and turn it as best you can to your advantage but i'm going to hand over to natalie what were your thoughts playing castello mathoni so when we first started and i've I've, disclaimer i've only played this once so when we first started playing it i didn't kind of like i didn't kind of get it i didn't grow up with rules appropriately but watching everyone else play made it easier for me and as we went along i got more comfortable with the mechanisms and more comfortable with what we were supposed to do and coming out the other side of the game i really really enjoyed it and i absolutely want to play it again i can see how this game has immense replayability because as you say, it really will be influenced by the people that you're playing with, the strategies they take, the cards that you pick up. Like that that's gonna be a big thing. You've got these cards. I will say I didn't get all of the rules completely, so my scoring was a little bit tanked towards the end because I didn't really understand the bonus cards. So hopefully next time I'll get I'll get a few more points. But I really enjoyed it. And of course the visual look of the game, you know, the walls uh going on the board. And at the beginning when Ronan was explaining the game, he said, those walls are going to go quicker than you think. And I hate to say this because it makes me break out in hives, but Ronan was right. Those walls fly. Twice this episode, people. Someone keep count for me. <laughs> it's the pandemic delirium. <laughs> Ronan, 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 I've kept count this twice. Hey, you're the man. You got my back. Okay. So Nat, I would say it's completely understandable because... I don't think anyone gets this game on their first play. And most times I've taught it, 
because it's quick, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. Under forty five minutes, most tables have turned around and gone. Right, can we play properly again now? Because it, it's just either I'm teaching it like an idiot, probably, or it, you just need to see it in action. It's one of those because it's a, a bit odd, and it, it, you know, it's just your brain can't really work everything out until you do it, and you go, "Oh, this is super simple," but it just sounds more complicated than it really is. So it's definitely not on you. That's everyone. I'm going to throw you a bone and say I actually think it's the mechanisms of the game. Because it is this area control game, but there are certain aspects to it where normally in area control games, you are kind of having a battle or a combat of some description. But in this, it's, it's I think you pointed out again in, in the beginning of the rules, it's more of a trading mechanism that allows you to take over other people's areas. And you could be in a really strong position and have no money. And, and then all of a sudden your stock has plummeted and you're nowhere. And you're kind of waiting for someone to take over your area so that you can get some money and to go and take another area. And I think that's incredibly clever, but not something that I immediately got from the beginning. So, you know, it's not the way you taught it. It's just a different way of approaching an area control game yeah so for me i have approached this well into my hangover on the on the saturday morning and felt like it was just going to be a really mean backstabby game and it just isn't because when somebody does take over your area they are giving you something and that takes away the the meanness and the feeling that they're being mean to you because you've got to pay for everything and when we first finished the game i felt like I was looking at sort of Nat and Ellie and Rachel and I was thinking, but I I came ahead of them. I came second in the game, but I felt originally that they played the game better than me. But what I'd done is played an aspect of the game, which is very important that you don't see in other games, is, is setting yourself up to be taken over. And I think that's hard to grok in your head. When you first go, you want to build up your areas, score your points for your areas, like any area control. But no, this one, you you almost want people, you want to tempt them into taking over because they're going to pay you. They're going to give you money. And you, the money is going to fund your moves around the board in other areas. So that's I think that's the beauty of the game. And I, I didn't expect to like it. And hangover and all, I really did enjoy this one. So a surprise hit for me and a really strong game. Look at economy boy over here. Set himself <laughs> up to get the money, eh? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the aspects that I, I kind of emphasise it a bit more in the rules because it, it is really an abstract game. But when you say, listen, we're merchants and it's about trading and dealing and getting land, that can kind of help you realise how Ooh. that flows. Yeah. But I'm not sure that people ever listen to me. But hopefully it's in the back of their heads. And as the game develops, they go, oh, I see what you're talking about. That's the cleverest aspect of the design to me, that you, it does genuinely run on an economic engine. And I'm kind of repeating what you guys said. Anyway, Natalie, you're going to see us out with our final game for this I one. am. The final game we have is Raiders of the North Sea. And it's by the same designers of Paladins of the West Kingdom. So that's Shem Phillips and SJ McDonald's, published by the same guys too, Garfield Games and Renegade Games. I think this was one of their first games, guys, who were more into that. Is that correct? It was the second one of the North Sea trilogy. So probably, yeah, his second design in the in this type of game. Yeah, it is... 
worker placement. You are Vikings. You are uh, setting yourself up in your homestead by getting crew, provisions, and then you are going off and raiding the distant shores of another place entirely as you raid and you go up through the harbours and the rivers to the outposts and the monitories and the fortresses. You're going to be collecting goods. You are going to be getting some of your crew killed off um, and then those goods will give you points at the end and you will use them for further raiding or for getting points as you offer them up to the gods. Well, the interesting mechanic for this particular game is you have one meeple and you put that meeple down on an action space, you perform that action, and then you take a meeple from another action space and you perform that action. So you'll start your turn with a meeple and you end your turn with a meeple. Now, I have played this game many, many times. I had an opportunity to play it again at Aircon. I love it. Ronan, I believe it was one of your first, was it your first time playing? It was my first time playing, yeah. And what were your thoughts? I'd like to hear your thoughts because it's been so long since I first played this game and I've played it many, many times and I love it wholeheartedly. What did you think? I feel like I might have to climb into a bunker while I continue talking here. Oh, God. I didn't love it. I love the experience of playing with you guys, though. But Why do you suck the joy <laughs> out of everything? <laughs> Might be a valid comment. I do feel bad because I really did genuinely want to like it. And I was really excited to play it. And when you guys... And I, I had it here for from Sean. And I was like, yeah, great. We're going to finally play it. And then... There's, there's two things. Now, listen. I, I enjoyed the game. I'd play it again. I didn't love it. And I have concerns about it. And the two concerns that I know... I feel like I'm kicking a puppy here. I know you guys love it. And I hate to be miserable. But just the two things I say is one, where the actions got really repetitive. There's only those, I don't know, six, seven actions, and some, you know, some you use very rarely, and you're doing two of them every turn. So you're just doing the same things, churning around and round and round. You collect stuff, you go away, gets rid of it, churn it round and round and round. The game felt a bit samey, even from the beginning to the end. I know you get more slightly more stuff, but you're kind of doing the same thing. And the second thing I felt was it's a race and you know, you you really got to keep up with the race to keep going forward keep going forward keep going forward now and this, this might be affected the way that I chose to play it but I felt like once someone had got an edge on you that's it they've got the edge and they're going to keep on going and even if you then catch up and start going at the same rate you'll never get ahead of them you'll never get going quicker than them and I mean I came last and I I I hope it's not just being miserable that that because I didn't think that bothered me because I was exploring the game. But I definitely I felt like well now I can't do what you guys are doing because you're doing it better than me. So now I have to switch to something else to have any chance of doing anything. So I couldn't follow you because I couldn't do it as well as you. And then when I switched, it didn't help me catch up in any way. So I was like, right, I haven't quite followed the the bleeding edge here, and they're never going to get back into the game. No, it's all good nonsense. There's, there's plenty of ways to get back again. You played Raiders of the North Sea and you never raided. You went on the strategy of pure Valkyries, killing off your dudes, trying to get up the Valkyrie track. And you can't do that. You've got to raid. You've got to raid. And hold on, hold on. The, How did, wait a sec, wait a sec. How did I kill them? By raiding the, the by raiding, you, know, you didn't try. You didn't try and raid the the further echelons. You were just still because picking off the little islands because the you guys got there first. No, you, there's an ebb and flow. When I raid, I, I use up my, all my res- resources, and 
you they leave you open for the next raid. There's always a chance to get in there. And if you if you save up, you can do two raids back to back. I think it was in the way you chose to play the game that you, you ruled yourself out of being able to win that game. I agree. <laughs> I do. I think and I saw it because I played I played this game with um Terry and Shireen when we went to Sandy Balls middle of March um Shireen hadn't played it before and she did a similar strategy to you Ronan she didn't really go much for the raiding and she lost it is Raiders of the North Sea you do have to raid and you do have to start raiding early and then everything else is kind of building up to that yes it can get samey but it only gets samey if you're not raiding if you're not raiding of course the actions become boring because you're not really doing anything and you can kill off your people quite easily because it all depends on where the Valkyries fall. Now, in this particular game, there was a hell of a lot of Valkyries that fell quite early on. Like, I believe the harbour had quite a few of them. So you, there was no need for you to carry further on up to get to the Valkyries. And I don't know. I think you should give it another go. Should we say that? Should we end on a positive, friendly note where I don't want to scoop your eyeballs out with my melon baller and say you probably might want to play it again? I know, I happily play again. Or, or, you're wrong. <laughs> I do also think now, I'm, I am getting to the point now, I mean, I've played this lots. It's one of the games I've played the most. And I think I am getting to the point where I think I'm ready to introduce those expansions, uh, which really ramp up your, your choices and really give you a lot more to think about. And a lot of people won't play it without the expansion. So I do, I do see your argument with the sameness, definitely. You, I think it becomes quite tactical in what you leave behind and stuff like that. But yeah, the, the actions in themselves are quite samey. There's not a vast variety of uh, crew members. There's a lot of duplicates of the crew members so you tend to like me and Ronan had the same thing I think Natalie and Rachel had the same a couple of the same crew so maybe yeah definitely there's ele elements that you could improve on and I think the expansions probably do that but for the first 10 or so games it, we, we absolutely adored it and I'm, I'm a bit sad that you didn't like it as much as we do but I, I, I hope we can change your mind I think, I think one of the aspects where it was never going to be an absolute hit for me was that there is no ability to play differently. Everyone's got to follow the same strategy. You've got to rate yeah. up. Quick, that's it. Okay, so, I see that. I can see and that. And you know, I, I like to be a bit weird. <laughs> and sometimes when I play I games too. <laughs> no, I, I think the Valkyrie thing is a valid strategy, but it's, it's, a, almost, it's a side strategy. It's not, you have to at least do go on a few of the big raids just uh, but keep the Valkyries ticking over. And, and I suppose the layout of the board, as Nat said, would dictate that. So if the Valkyries are all early on the islands in the, in the nearer to easier to get to raiding spots, I suppose that dictates where you go to in, in those. So maybe the game dictated that a little bit. I'm still in my bunker. I've said too much. I'm not, <laughs> it's not a safe place Listen. for me to be. Listen, the only hope for you is that I've calmed down by the time all of this malarkey is over. So in 18 months, we should be grand. Be <laughs> I'm going out licking something to spread it, just to keep you locked down. <laughs> Use my evil powers on London Underground. No, I'm definitely not. This is no laughing matter. Okay. And overall, it probably goes without saying, a fantastically run con, 
everyone's friendly and happy and helpful and everyone seems to be very relaxed and it is definitely definitely one of the most enjoyable game experiences of the year and we were very lucky that we was able to run this year as we have seen with all the massive things going on the disruption yeah big thanks to mark and the team um yeah just really welcoming really makes you make you at home straight away nothing's too much trouble for the team and uh, yeah always a great time Absolutely. Just to echo the boys there, it's fantastically run. You know, everything has been thought about. I thought the bring and buy was good as well this year with it being separate. I was, you Apart know, from my Batman not selling. Well, <laughs> it's because everybody's got a copy of it. Or shall I call it um, Bargain Lat Man? Jeez, <laughs> you really had to reach for that. Yeah, and it's just it was just fantastic, and I I got to have a little a little chat with Kim Joy there, so that made my weekend. <laughs> and and Paula, and Paula, yeah, I met Paula as well. All the Death by Monsters crew. That was yeah, but I but do it's like Paula that, that I've it, it is Paula that I've got a bit of a crush on. <laughs> And I know Matthew. Matthew just comes around. It's not fun to meet him. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah we don't, we don't like him at all. I did tell him that the home strangers weren't as good as the normal episodes, and I felt like I killed him a little bit. He was like, oh, it's just I'm like, oh, no, I wish I'd never said a word. It's true though. The, the major episodes are really, really good. The major episodes are fantastic. I love the amount them. of research that goes into those Death by Monster episodes. But I had to stop listening because they did the Black Eye Kid Kids one, and then after I listened to the Black Eye Kids one, the little and he was in the room with us still and he just popped up in the middle of the night and he's staring at me in the middle of the night after i've listened to that episode oh it'll put the ebgbs up yeah it, mostly because he's well, a psychopath as well so well i mean that. he's a little bit feral there, there is that <laughs> mostly because he was chewing his way out the window okay. <laughs> anyway natalie thank you so much for coming along and sharing your thoughts hopes dreams visions passions I mean, I really like to go into the outside world again and meet actual human people that aren't my feral children. <laughs> that would be nice. Sean, uh, well done for making it on an episode once this year. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been strange, but uh, I'll see you next year. <laughs> Hopefully not. We've got to pick it over the bones planned for maybe next week, maybe the week after. We'll see how life goes. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it all goes. Grand. Thank you very much for having me, boys. And I'm really pleased that you used a lot of Febreze around the place because, honestly, last time the stench was horrific. It is that yearly time. (laughs) Anyway, Sean, see us out. (laughs) As always, we are very proud members of the Dice Tower Network. Go to that and the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download our episodes, we're on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify and Podbean. And if you wish to contact us, you can go to thegamepitpodcast at gmail.com or pop along to our Board Game Geek Guild. We are on social media on Facebook. We have an Instagram page. And we are, of course, on Twitter at Game Pit Podcast. If you wish to find some videos with overviews on games, pop along to our YouTube channel. But the overviews have now moved to the Dice Tower Network. So thank you very much for listening. Thanks, Natalie, and thanks, Ronan. And we'll catch you next time. Music by E. Aaron. Dice Tower.